0: Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you.
1: So Jamba, here we've got a new sponsor. Yes, mate. So for season two of the
0: Hit in the Areas podcast, we have a brand new sponsor. Uh, the guys at Ellsbury Glazing Repairs have kindly sponsored us for this season. Um so for any sort of Glazing and window repairs, they're your guys to go to. So you know when um your windows blow and you get all that sort of condensation and, and maybe some water inside the glass. Yeah, these are the guys to talk to. Um, I've literally just had it done. My missus' been banging on for ages about getting it done. I had them come in, they've taken a look, and they've done a brilliant job. It's like I've got a new glass. Um, so yeah. If you are looking for um, that type of service in the area, so any sort of window repairs or any glazing specialities, um, you need to give them a call. So you can give them a call on 07-889-730-995 or you can email them at glazingrepairs at hotmail.com. Now they normally serve the likes of Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire um, and their aim is to give you a clearer view every time. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Nice one, Jumbo.
0: Let's get back to the podcast. Welcome to the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Robertson, Richard Kyson. Uh, Today, we've got a brand new guest. Um, The guest is a well-known author, ghostwriter, and producer, covers Manchester United which is really what this episode is uh, uh, about today. It's about Manchester United and and the the person in question. So I'd like to welcome Wayne Barton. Um, Wayne nice to meet you. You too gents
2: how are you doing? Not too bad. Rich want to say
1: hi? Yeah good Wayne how are you mate?
2: Yeah I'm really good thanks thanks for having me.
1: Good. Um, Wayne for those that don't know, if you can just sort of briefly introduce yourself, what you do, um, why
2: you do it. Uh, I'm an author, and producer and writer, um, mainly an author, I've written, oh, I think it's 20 books on United now, um, started writing in 2012 as a ghost writer, um, and it just sort of snowballed from there, you know, you make one connection, you make another, um, one player asks you to do the book, Um. You know, I make it sound like it's easy. It's obviously not. It, it didn't, you know, it's not like it happens every day. So I know it's very, I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I am, and to have had those connections and to have all, I've had those experiences. And because obviously I have worked with that many people over time, um, I've been able to write some books under my own name. Publishers have published those, and um, and because the ideas were pretty solid, they've been um, a couple of those were made into films by BT Sport. And um, yeah, I think that that's it in a nutshell really. And it's just, you know, it, I, I just consider that I'm a, a fan of United. I'm lucky to have a bit of a platform in which I can talk about. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon those of us who are fortunate enough to have that platform to, to use it responsibly, you know. I guess you guys are trying to do that as, as Spurs fans and uh-huh. you know, a lot of people in the current um, media platform don't tend to try and do that so it's uh, refreshing to see a difference
0: i appreciate that um yeah i mean to be honest i came across you on twitter um and i think it was via the hit in the, not my personal but my but the hit in the areas podcast twitter um and i think you just popped up as like you know a topic um and i think it was something that you wrote and wrote about wrote about united and i just from there i followed you and um because obviously we want a perspective from all different kinds of clubs, not just yeah. our, sort of our own or wherever. And I um, followed you since, and I thought, I, thought, you know, I thought you were great on Twitter and, and, and so insightful, um, which is which is what I want to know, you know, as, as an average football fan as well. Um, so obviously uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the books in, in a bit, but let, let's start with United. Um, um, I think United's a strange one because for years, obviously under the Fergie era, it was, it was completely dominant. Everything was Manchester United. Um, and and obviously since the third year sort of finished I want to be careful i say it but it, it seems obviously that other fans have now sort of gotten on to that obviously United aren't where they used to be and, and, and stuff like that so I think where we're going to go with this is sort of talk about that after third year and where we are now with Eric Ten Hag um, and, and go from there I mean Rich do you want to open up with something and and we'll go from there
1: yeah, um, I mean, let's start with with yesterday, the win over Arsenal. Um, mm. Let's be honest, both teams looked good. Um, from a Man United point of view, Wayne, what are you, you know, what were your thoughts on it? You know, really good win.
2: Yeah, it, it's been a funny one um, because they, with United, it's a bit of a case of baby steps at the moment. Mm. Um, when we've watched United over the past few years, the, Post Ferguson era, era, the years after him. Um, So, I'm going to give you an example of where we are at the moment. I think it's the best best way I can summarize it for people who aren't United fans. Mm. We talk through different managers. First um, manager Moises too short a sample size to be fair. So the Van Gaal era had two moments. The first moment was, and, and I don't expect you guys to remember this. You might remember some of the moments. You won't remember the long passages but well, you, you'll certainly remember the game where Rooney did the boxing celebration and scored. Mm. So that was part of a little run of games where we won at Anfield and we won against and we won against you guys and um, Matt, Matt scored a bicycle kicker um, at Anfield. And the, the basically that, that run of foam was based around Young crossing from the left Fellaini being a false 10. And, and Rooney being a central, central striker and Mata coming in from, from the right. And under Van Gaal, that was never going to be a go-to formation. You know, he'd signed a lot of players. None of those players were players that he'd actually signed. He'd reverted to these to try and get Champions League football. And he did. And then he reverted. You know, he signed some new players, blah, 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 blah. Then the following um, winter, it, it looked like he was going to get sacked. Every, it was the worst-kept secret in football that Mourinho was going to take his job. But he got a little bit of a trigger look when rashford broke into the side um you know he, again rashford scored all these goals the galvanization that you had of the young players um really created an atmosphere that um helped united to win the cup basically and yeah. so you had this little period but again that wasn't going to be built upon because a the, the youngsters by and large weren't good enough to build a new philosophy around and, and B you, Van you was getting sacked. You know The next really game that you had was uh, Mourinho after he signed Lukaku, um, so he'd been in the job a year. Lukaku, at the start of the season, started quite well. United scored four goals in about four or five games consecutively, or four goals in about five or six games. And everyone's like, I mean, even the United fans at the time, were know four LFC, and there were a few of us going, <laughs> mm, this doesn't look really sustainable. I don't think Lukaku's you know, he was scoring goals, but he, did, he didn't have that cutting edge. You know, you know he, does, he doesn't mm-hmm. look like an hurricane. He doesn't move and strike the ball like an hurricane. He's not a predator like an hurricane. He's, he can be cumbersome. Um, cumbersome. Um, you need to get the right kind of service around him, and we didn't have that. Um, and you knew that that play wasn't going to keep up for any prolonged period of time. And then you add Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He got the new manager bounce. And he came in, and we won. No, sorry, we we were unbeaten for like nineteen games or something. Mm. We basically got him the job. One of those wins it was against you guys at, at Wembley, at Rashford scoring. But even the new manager balance it probably lasted two or three games in terms of performances because the results quickly dropped off. I think, and and what you found was Solskjaer, for for some of us won that won the manager's job on um, his tactical excellence. And people will probably say, oh, as if it was a PE teacher. But if you go back and look at those games, particularly the one against you guys, he, he played with a split striker system, which caught you out. And he, he did the same at Arsenal. He played Lukaku on the right winger, I remember, at Arsenal. Um, and then he, he did a similar thing at Chelsea. So he got some big, and, and at Paris, famously, yeah, he got a result there as well. So he, the, what I'm trying to say is the results were a lot better than what the performances were in that period of time. Okay. So we remember, we remember that he started quite well for two two or three games and then the performances drop. What I'm trying to give you a picture of there is that the little purple patches were never anything significant upon which you would say, all right, that looks a little bit like what United used to look like. The closest you got was a tiny little period under Solskjaer or even, even a little period under um, Van Gogh when all the kids were in the side because it was something that the supporters connected with. Mm. For the first time, And I'm saying this in the wave of optimism, so take that with a pinch of salt, because I don't want listeners to come back in six months and say, oh, you said 10 hogs at the wheel or anything like that. But for (laughs) the first time, and maybe it's because it's the baby steps, because we haven't seen like an implosion. We haven't seen a massive... I know Liverpool was a statement performance, but you expect that there's going to be a rising of... you know, It caught us all by surprise, but obviously Liverpool being a big game, you can take that as a one-off. So the subsequent games, you've seen flashes of form good moments of football and you guys said oh we played well yesterday I think we saw flashes yesterday I don't think mm. it was a particularly brilliant performance I sort of things certainly Arsenal fans will think that for 20 minutes of that second half the game was in their favour but we are more proactive with the way that we're playing games uh, with the way that we're taking uh, the game to op- uh, opposition certainly more than we were under Van Gaal Certainly more than we were under Mourinho, certainly more than we were for big games under Solskjaer. We're actually proactive. We're trying to win those games. You can't say United are trying to stifle the opposition. We went out to win against Liverpool. We definitely went out to win yesterday. Um people say no oh, Arsenal dominated the game. Watch that game back if you've got a spare ninety minutes. United controlled it, the the goal, the opening goal, was like eighteen passes. They were, they went backwards it, and forwards. It wasn't a counter attack goal, and then every player touched it, I believe. Yeah, it was a fantastic goal. And then um, obviously you got the boost of it being scored by the new man as well. But then you've got the yeah. classic counter attacks. You know, they they just penetrated um, at will, and and it wasn't just those two goals. They had two or three moments like that. Apart from the goals in the second half, where they where they caught Arsenal out with a naivety, and you know at the back line, which obviously Arsenal are a traditional four anyway. Um, I'm sure you guys don't mind me saying that, <laughs> but um, I completely agree with you. But, yeah, but they, it wasn't. You know, they shot themselves in the foot yesterday. and we, we played into that, and we, you know, we, that's how we got the win. And I just think now I see a lot more of what is familiar about United, and I don't think that's because Ten Tenag bought into a, a particular way of doing things, um, the United way. I think it's because he's gone in with his own standards. You know, he was allowed a great deal of control from the start. I mean, people will say, oh, Pogba and Lingard were on the way out anyway, but Tenog was already in post at the time when those contracts were being taken off the table. So even if that was a token gesture to say, oh, he had something to do with that, at least he was in position and he was saying, no, those guys can go. Do you know what I mean? He was reasserting some control over the dressing room, which United desperately needed. Um, He's made big calls in all of the games in terms of he dropped Maguire, dropped Shaw, put Ronaldo on the bench. So he's very much in control of that team. They've responded to that method, and um, it, it's reminiscent. If anyone is old enough listening back to this, or has got a good enough memory, they'll remember Ferguson on the pitch um, as a Rangers manager, as an Aberdeen manager in the cup final against Rangers, where he said it was a diabolical performance, and only two of these players deserved to hold their head. Two of these players won the cup, and I think it was it might be Leighton and McLeish. He mm. was basically he was he absolutely slammed the team, and that's one of the things that the. Martin Edwards and the United directors took notice of when they hired him because it wasn't about um winning it was about the standards which you were playing towards and I think that's a big key thing what 10 Hag's got at the moment he's got his own standards as we saw after I mean come on standards were on the floor after losing 4-0 to Brentford but yeah. he came in and he said no this is the way that we're going to do it and he actually the biggest thing was he went on that run that, you know the infamous run which he took them took the players on he went on that run himself he's like Mm. I'm not asking you to do something that I wouldn't do. So he's created um, in a crazy way in a a little microclimate and we don't know how long it's going to last, if it's just a bounce or if it is something substantial. But to me, it does feel like the most like United I've seen since Ferguson retired. And I say that with the admission that it's four games, it's a tiny sample size but it's something to do with the atmosphere and and that comes from the manager and I'm giving him 100% credit for that more than I'm giving any of the new players. I know the new players play their own part, but it's all coming from the manager and that's the kindest thing that I could say about any manager post-Ferguson. So again, tiny, tiny sample size and I don't want people clipping this saying, oh, you said United were back. (laughs) do
0: you know what Wayne I actually kind of agree with you a little
2: bit I'm
0: actually I actually quite fear um, United Um, I I saw a lot from them Um, and I actually really like Eric Hag. and again I think he's when you look at the two managers yesterday you have one I I don't want this to be an Arsenal bashing but um, because I can't really because they're top of the league but I saw one naive manager and I saw one manager that is still in a lot of form Obviously, he hasn't had done a lot. He's never really done a lot wrong at Ajax, um, apart from maybe should have got to the Champions League final, but we all know what happened. Um, but I saw a manager that was just completely in control of that game um, compared to another one where look, Arsenal, like you said, they're notorious at the back for... Their two centre-halves, in my opinion, aren't, aren't top four material yeah. um, compared to the likes of United, where you've brought in Martinez, who's been an absolute wonder all this nonsense about being too small. Um, to be honest, there's not really many massive strikers in the Premier League anyway that are going to... Yeah. You haven't got a Lukaku, for instance, or someone like that that's yeah. going to try and bully him. Um, and then obviously you've got Rafael Varane next to him. And th- that's where I look at both of them. And I think you're con- you, you won't concede that many going forward. I fear for the likes of Tottenham going there. I feel for a lot of top four boy- top four going to United. I don't think a lot of points will be taken off United at Old Trafford. Away from home, I don't really know. We need to sort of, yeah. you know... You i Liverpool at home and Arsenal at home, you've got maximum points. So that's where I see those stepping stones early on. And it can only really get better. I don't actually, I don't see it getting worse. Um, and I actually see United being, I, I could see United getting top four, uh, 100% now. Um, and, and not just because of the signings. I actually think that he has changed things around. The Brentford game was bonkers. I think it was just, I I can't describe, I couldn't describe, when watching it, I couldn't describe what it, it was really, str- what was your thoughts on that game? Because obviously as a United fan as well, that, yeah, was there alarm bells or was it more like this just doesn't look right or the players don't look right? Or anything like no, that? Or was it, uh, do we need more?
2: Yeah, well, he's a, he's a funny one because I, I do a, a Monday morning podcast with uh, former United player Paul Parker mm. and mm. Um, we have a running theme and it's not a good theme, but it's one that we've had to do. Is this the worst? And it's like, I start every week in my notes. It's like a permanent, like a permanent thing in my notes is, and I'm here with Paul Parker after another disappointing week at United. And I still haven't changed it. It's still there because I just think, remember where we're coming from even the last few weeks. But another recurring theme is, is this the worst performance since Ferguson? Um, And that even changed over the last year. It was, is this the worst performance in United's history? And that's not—it's um, not an overreaction. It's not throwing the toys out of the pram. When you look at the some of the results over the last year, and you guys were—I don't know—we were lucky enough to get two results of you guys. It's just, I guess, this the sliding doors moments of where we were at the, those moments in time because you were having your own problems. And hmm. but but in some of those other big games, I mean, I mean Liverpool coming to Old Trafford and winning by five is the lowest point you know and and Mm. Solskjaer stayed for a few weeks after that and I was one of his biggest fans and his biggest champions but even after that even though I thought the players threw him under the bus more than he more than it was his problem um I understood that he couldn't turn it round. do you know what I mean he had to go that's an untenable position so it's Mm. the same you know even if a manager you loved him to bits, and you lost five 0 at home to Arsenal. That manager's going in the next week because it's just this is, there are some results that you just don't recover from, and that that was one. Um, and and there were a few results like that even after Ragnik came in. It was it was like, is this the lowest United have been in their entire history? And I've you know you know I know you haven't read the books, but you know I've covered United's relegation mm. in 1974, so I know what I'm talking about in that regard. I know how bad this team were, and I know how bad that team were. And yeah, I think that that team performed a worse standard last season. They were lucky that the league was so poor because they were any team in the league could have beaten United last season. And I mean, Norwich came to Old Trafford and outplayed us for long periods of time, and they yeah. were doomed. Burnley outplayed us, and I think they beat us, at, or maybe we dropped yeah. down there. And so we were having these massive, massive um, dropping off a cliff moments, and it was like is that as bad as it's going to get? And then then we lost 4-0 at Brighton at the back end of last season. And you're like, yeah. is that as bad as it is? And it was. And then we turn up to Brentford. And I know the football world looks at it and they're, they're shocked because it's Brentford 4 Manchester United nil after 35 minutes. But you, you guys will know this as well as the United fans because you, Spurs, have been through those crazy moments where it's like, what the hell is going on? You just get these free results. We lost to MK Don's 4 0 a few years ago in the where Delhi Alley inspired explode, the, yeah. to the 4 0 mm-hmm. win. Um, and then that inspired another sort of massive late window splurge by Van Gogh where we brought in Di Maria and um, Falcao and all that. Falcao. And all that mm-hmm. So, what I'm trying to say is, it was a shock to the football world and it's a, a sobering moment when it happens. But it wasn't a shock to us to see that happening. It was like, oh God, we're here again. But you kind of knew that they were capable of something that bad. And I'm not saying that it's cathartic. It's not, it's, it's heartbreaking when it's happening. But we all know that we're on this path as a football fan, that you have the lows and you have the highs, and you have to remember that. It's very difficult in the moment to come away from it and say, all right, I'm I've to be pragmatic, I've got to be diplomatic and say, first of all, A, they deserve to win and that's one of the best days in their history and you've got to give them that because every dog has to have its day and that's mm. what football's all about. And United, have, I have to keep reminding other United fans that we, we've won 20 league titles, which is the most of any English club. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, United have enjoyed that success. What I'm trying to say is that's out of nearly 150 years so there's 130 years where they didn't win the league. Do you know, there's a, a lot of periods of time where they've struggled and that's cyclical. It's football, it's football history for every team and there are moments. So yeah, it was very, very distressing to see what happened um, at Brentford. But it also puts this little run into perspective. It makes it a little more um, emotional. You know, the, I'm not going to say redemption because it's not, but it's a mini run and it makes it more um, you can engage with it a little bit more. You know what it's like. You know exactly what I'm talking about because it's not just Manchester United. We're talking about United because it's they're the topic of the day that you guys will have been through something similar. So when you see, well, you know, through Conte, when you see him coming in and you see him do the job that he's doing, it's like, all right, this feels so much better than what it was a few weeks ago because it feels like we've got an identity again. It feels like we're us again. And like I said earlier, you know, to go to a game and feel like I've just watched Manchester United play um, it's something that um, I really don't take for granted, and and it is put into perspective by that. I mean, I mean, what the point is I'm trying to make with that is it wasn't surprising. It was depressing. It was absolutely terrible, but um, it wasn't surprising. Wasn't as surprising for us as it probably was for you? Really, to watch that.
1: Yeah, brilliant, Wayne. Uh, what I, what I wanted to sort of take from the game yesterday was watching Ericsson um, one, um, how how amazing it was to see him like, back at his highest level. Man of the match, he was fantastic. But then also, just going to to sort of Ten Hag as well, is I was unsure how he'd make like Ericsson Fernandez work, yeah. but it worked yesterday. What were your thoughts on that?
2: I'm glad that you you guys are in a much better position than what I am to sort of say whether this is Ericsson at his top level. So I'm glad that you think that this is something resembling that. I look at him and I wasn't sure what we were going to get from him. I was impressed with him at Brentford, um, but you don't know because obviously it's a high demand. Um, at United, every every performance is analysed in the most critical and hypercritical way. So and obviously Fernandes plays in the role that you would normally have at Eriksen in, so he's going to be playing a bit deeper. Someone said to me, because I was like saying, I was, I'm was i a big fan by the way, I loved him at Spurs, I, I thought he was mm. a beautiful player to watch, he was always dangerous against us, he was a player that, and I know this because when, I, when we signed him I searched my own thing just to see what I've said about him before, I would know that I'd always been full of praise for him, but he's the kind of player that I would have always loved to see United, so I just searched to see if I'd ever said anything like that. And I did. I said, when you guys signed him, I'd put on Twitter, he's the kind of player we will be bidding 80 million for in three years. And, you know, it took a few mm. more years, but we got him on a free transfer. And the, the thing is, what he, he does for us, and it's only, again, it's only a small sample size, and he played him at a false nine. Tenog played him as a false nine in his first game, but then he's moved him a lot further back in the team. What he, re- he, re- um, he really reminds me of at the moment is Latter-day Paul Scholes and um, latter-day Paul Scholes you take for granted because everyone remembers the one who's was you know even to be fair in his latter-day skulls would still score a banger but <laughs> earlier in his like sort of like the three or four years before his retirement so when he was 34 he was controlling games in such a simple and effective way his economy was unbelievable and that's what you've got from Ericsson and it's the same with Molassi and it's a little bit the same with Martinez To us, and this is going to sound incredibly spoiled as United fans, so please take it with all of the things I've just said previously on this podcast to know the the depths to which we've plummeted and to know how appreciative of where we are at the moment. These performances look like 9 out of 10s to us. You know, like, oh, Molasse is playing great and and Mm. Martinez is bossing at the back and Ericsson isn't. In reality, these are 7 out of 10 performances. These are just guys doing what they normally do. And that's Ericsson. When you've seen a player like Pogba who makes holding onto the ball look so difficult, and we're talking about one of the most gifted players in world football, mm. that he couldn't make look, he couldn't make it look easy. Being in possession of the football, be it against Barcelona, Manchester City, or Cardiff City, he'd always uh. make it look difficult. He, yes, he could do extravagant things, he could do incredible things that few other players could. But what you need in the middle of the park for a top team is you need simplicity need economy and that's what ericsson brings to the side and it's such an unbelievable relief to watch a player um do something like that and keep the the player ticking over because then it allows a player like fernandez who is so risky in possession it allows us a little bit of comfort zone to get away with that because ericsson you know he will be tidy on it when when we get the ball back and and you know that his kind of passes to try and find a breakthrough and not as risky as fernandez you know perhaps fernandez might have a higher ceiling in terms of how um how extravagant the risk might pay off but ericsson's consistency is far greater um,
0: the paul skulls comparison is great because he is he has got that brain he's oh, just yeah. such a clever footballer um, he he goes unnoticed a little bit because he's because he, I suppose he was quite high-scoring at Spurs, but he was also an incredibly good runner. He yeah. would always top those kilometres per game. He has done well.
2: Um, yeah. He's it, it, old, it, I, think he's old, I don't know if it's his average, but certainly his overall is, is the it's, highest of the club. It, 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 it's, it's such a good signing. And again,
0: there was obviously, obviously because of what happened to Christian, there was always obviously going to be that worry with these sort of things. But the minutes he's played... Um, do you think he's going to be rested for so like, like the Europa League games and the Cup
2: games? Do you think he's more going to be a Premier League player? I, I would think so. And I think uh, to answer uh, the other question as well about uh, where he will play, I think he will probably, the, the idea was that you'd sign, that we'd sign De Jong to play the, the number six. Mm. I'm not quite sure where Casemiro fits into that because he's not the same kind of player as, as De Jong, but, Ericsson kind of fits the De Jong profile in a way, but yet again, he still seems like he's playing deeper at the moment. I I think that Tenog's finding that out. He's trying to um, actually settle on a system in there. That's why the integration of Casemiro's been a bit more gentle. Also, the form of McTominay, um, he's been one of the most maligned players in in recent history, but the four games um, since it was announced that Casemiro was going to sign, um, his, his form has been he's probably played four out of seven or eight of his best games for the club that's how I, his, his standard of performance has been um they've certainly been like four out of the best 10 you know he's really put in a shift in the last few games he knows that his place is at risk and he's responded admirably so what you've got is a situation where some of these players are actually standing up which i mean You could, a lot of United fans were saying just write off the 11 and bring in, like Rangnick was saying, bring in 10 new signings. And, yeah, you'd like to see that. But you've also, in football, got to be realistic. You're not going (laughs) to bring in 10, unless you're Forrest. Um, You bring in 20. (laughs) 20. Yeah, so you'd be realistic. You've got to give, because these are still eye-level players. A lot of them got the team to second, albeit with the caveat of Liverpool having injuries and Chelsea having transition. They still United did still get to second with a lot of these players on the team. So you've got to give them a chance, you know, to, to prove themselves to be squad players and, and some of them have stepped up and done that. Dallo, McTominay. So McTominay's form has sort of eased that pressure on what what happens with Ericsson in the short term. I would certainly expect that he will be rested for the Europa games. Uh, he'll be on the bench in case we're in a hole for mm-hmm. sure. Or if we you know if we need to close out a game in thirty minutes. United have touch wood on paper a fairly comfortable Europa League group, so you shouldn't need to use him so much. Um, you know you're not going to need to be in a position where you're closing games out. If you should United could be two or three goals. again. I'm not taking these games for granted, but United should on paper be two or three goals up in a couple of these mm. games, which enables them to utilize the squad in a different way to bring in kids to play those minutes instead of someone like Eriksson who can get a well-earned breather, but he's played just about every single minute so far. I know he's brought off in one of the games, or at least two, perhaps, um, but he's, he's played most of the games. He's played all the crucial periods where he's needed to be on the pitch. He's been absolutely um, crucial to... he's that economy, it's the efficiency that's made him so crucial to United's play. Um, it really has, and he costs nothing. He's probably been the best value signing so far
0: one thing with Ericsson is one thing you'll notice and obviously we've watched him for a long time um he will be everywhere and I've already noticed that have you noticed that at United Rich yeah. where he, he literally he'll turn up at a left side midfield and the next minute you'll see him deep right in his half so he can play that long ball he just picks up the balls and he just has so many pictures in his head yeah. um that he just picks up the ball anywhere and and he'll like you said, the economy—he'll rotate, he'll move it on, and and it, it, that was again why he was one of the man in, man. In, I actually quite liked Dallo's performance. Just I thought he had a good game as well, um, especially up especially up against Martinelli. I mean, but I think Martinelli Martinelli's Arsenal's best player without a,
2: doubt or without, yeah, without he, a shadow without Shadow doubt. But he struggled in the first five or ten minutes. Anthony actually came back and helped him quite a lot. Mm. Um, he, he did he put in a shift there. Um, he struggled a bit, but him and Malacia we struggled at the start with Saka, but they both they both settled into it. I think the thing with Eriksson, uh, just to conclude on that point, is mm. that United and Spurs have got a really close, not because of Daniel Levy. And I'm not talking about <laughs> the club. They definitely don't have a close relationship. <laughs> but in terms of historical identity, no one does. <laughs> They're so close, and mm. in, now in they reflect the, the way that they play football, which is why Carrick and Berbatov they came to United and they felt. They just sit. They like. Um, they took to the club so easily, and they fit in very mm. easily because the, Sheringham, another great example. Yeah, he just came in, replaced Cantona, and you know you can't replace Cantona, but he stepped no. into that breach and and he didn't. You weren't talking. Well, you were talking about Cantona because of who he was, but in terms of the contribution, Sheringham mm. Mm. M- was more than um, capable of, of filling fill those shoes. So United have always had a good. They're a really good. Mat- Uh, what I'm trying to say is if you want a player to fit into the United system or or look like they can play the United way you could get one from Spurs and you know that you're going to be fairly sure of getting a good player like if we'd have got Bale he'd be an obvious replacement for Giggs if we got Kane you know that he'd be an obvious like you know that he'd be a star at United so Mm. those kind of things you never have a problem with them handling the profile or the stage or the style because you already know where they're from is a uh, you know what I mean? They're, they're from the same kind of school in a way, so that's
0: another thing with Ericsson. I don't want to, I want to move on from Ericsson, but another thing about Ericsson, he's never phased, yeah, no matter what, in front of 70,000 people, wherever United, you know, with the pressures on United, it's a good sign-in. because he's just not a phased player, is he? No, Rich, he's just that kind of player. No, he's not he's a nothing, rabbit in headlights, no. no, he's 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 such a comfortable player and he's such a like you say, such a professional, um. And and he's quite quiet. Do you know? Do you know what I mean by that? You know, he's not. You're not extravagant in terms of those type of footballers. Um, he's a quiet lad, and and yeah, he's just be one of those people that just does the job. Um, and and he'll he'll put in performances that you just love to watch. Like you said, he's just a, he is a joy to watch. Yeah. Rich, let's 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 move on. Um, yeah,
1: can I just ask one quick question on that game yesterday? Um, the big like talking point decision. On the foul on ericsson for me it was a foul was it a foul in, yep. your, in your opinion
2: i don't i was bemused when i came like came out of the ground and people were saying that that, that was a contentious decision i'm like it was clear from the stand it mm. was so clear we will obviously obviously you have the partisan element of like oh that's a foul but it was so obvious that it was a foul in mm. real time yeah. and then they pulled it back and it was like all right it's a foul you play on then afterwards they say no it was never foul. I, what defines a foul? That's the dictionary definition. Yeah. Of a foul. Exactly. I'm like that's yeah. it. End of end of conversation. It's only yep. of who the team were, who we were playing against, and where they were playing that they go upset about it. So
1: agreed. <laughs> what did you better. want to move on to, Jambo?
0: Um, but well, let's let's move on to. I'll ask this question. So one of the re- another one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on, Wayne, is because from an outside perspective. Um, and there's obviously a lot of talk around it. There's a lot of ex-players, obviously Gary Neville for one, that is someone that is very critical of the ownership um, from an outside point of view. And I think from other, from that, va- from other fans' point of view, is we kind of don't get that. And and what I mean by that is they do pump a lot of money into transfers. Obviously the transfers, this this is a huge amount of transfers. I mean you doubled your transfers at the end of this transfer window in yeah. terms of money spent. So I think from our point of view is why why the hate w- or why the why do they want? I mean, if you can give us obviously without going too critical, is is why I think other fans would just uh, just interested to know why why
2: why they want the the ownership to be removed or for someone to buy the club. Yeah. So the, the I will say I'll make two references early on. Kieran Maguire and um, who, who does the price of football? Oh, Kieran Maguire is a oh. and Swiss ramble. Yes, anything that they say on the Glazer ownership and, and United's ownership, they can explain it in, in great clarity from from a fan's perspective. So when they took over the club, United, as we all know, they were self sufficient. They could outspend anyone. That wasn't in question. They, you know, they built that profile. They had the biggest mm. stadium, in, biggest club stadium in the country. Um, the grandest stadium in the country that, you know, like Martin Edwards, who was a previous owner, had always mm-hmm. invested in the infrastructure of the club. Um, obviously, United have benefited from a long period of, of having the young players in. They had the youth system as well. I know they talk about the class of 92, but that youth system was so prolific in terms of the number of league players it generated. Um, the, the, the list is endless. There was, you know, there's probably at one point there must have been at least 100 players from United youth system playing across the league. It was mm. that successful. Um, so they were generating money that way. Um in United World they were a commercial beast, you know. There's no getting around that. When the Glazers took over, um they, they paid something. Remember as well, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this. You lo- you both look a little bit younger than what I am, so I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on it. But um we're not in in 98, <laughs> 98, there was a, a rumoured take, well, a rumoured, it was definitely happening. Sky put in a bid to take over United. United, United fans protested against it. Um, the government tried to block it and the, and it was successful. You know, the fans lobbying and, and Sky, you know, the government, you know, they said it was like mm. you know, too much mono, monopoly of power and everything like that. So that got um, blocked. But United, obviously, they were a, a PLC, shares were being hoovered up and everything like that. There was a, Um, I don't want to get into all the politics of the team take over, it happened the Glazer family got in a position where they could um, put in a compulsory purchase order for the club unfortunately for for United fans the Glazers didn't have the money to take over United but what they did is they bought out United using loans um, basically guaranteed against the club so the money that they paid to buy the club was effectively loaned against it like a mortgage so united were instantly in like 600 million pounds of debt um that debt still exists um all the money that's been taken out over the club and i'm going to say something in the region of two billion pounds maybe 1.8 one point it's between 1.8 and 2 billion pounds and believe me when i know it sounds like a very big number i'm not exaggerating you can go and see that and to put it into context if that money had been taken out of any other club over that period of time, it would have bankrupted any club in England. Mm. Every club in England. Mm. Liverpool would have been out of business. You got you guys would have been out of business. Arsenal would have been out of business. City would have been, Chelsea would have been, every single club with that amount of debt would have been put out of business. It's only United's ability to um, turn a profit and because they are the brand that they are, that they've been able to survive. It would have wiped out, take the Premier League out of it it would have if that debt had been levied on all of the English football pyramid beneath the Premier League. All of that would have been put out of business by the size of this debt. We're talking about one of the greatest institutions in, mm. in football, so that's why you know United fans are uh, unhappy. Yeah, okay, they've spent money. Money's been wasted on transfers. That much is true. Nobody's ever arguing with that. You know, there's been a lot of wastage there. The problem is that it's cool never, football clubs do yeah. that, though. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And by the way, these could be the things I'm about to say are going to sound like normal football problems, and they are. But this is where we are. This is what's led us this moment in time. All the managers, when they've come into the club, have pretty much been backed from day one. When, when Ferguson retired, David Gill was the chief executive and he retired at the same time. So Edward, Ed who had no football history, came in um, and he had no history of negotiating transfers. So you had him and David Moyes. David Moyes tried to go for what was familiar. Ended up just signing Fellaini. He wanted Baines. You know he wanted Bale. He wanted Tony Cruz. He wanted Fabregas. But we we had no. We didn't have a person experienced at negotiating with these kind of deals. It's not an excuse. It's just that was the reality that United were in at the time. The next year, um, Woodward threw a lot of money. At a lot of players. the The following summer was a really damaging one because Moyes had obviously he was sacked. And he was sacked one year, less than a year into a six year deal. Sorry if I'm, I'm giving you the comprehensive fans' explanation of this. No, no, no. Sorry. I know I'll probably be going on for a little bit. So no, he was good. sacked a year into his deal. Bengal took over. In the period before Bengal took over, um, Giggs retired. Vidic, Ferdinand, and Evera <sighs> were all allowed to go. When they went, they were replaced with players who didn't have Premier League experience. You probably lost about 2,000 games of experience there, and they were replaced by Di Maria, Falcao, Daley Blind, Marcus Rojo. Some good players, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have the Premier League experience. If you don't, if you're losing all that experience, you're gonna need some transitional time. Bangal, with his own sort of abrasive methods, also alienated some of the other players with the, with the way they trained, you know, Raphael, who had been one of the most informed players for us. He was, um, he was sent out. Um, you had other players who were obviously moved on as well. Uh, Van Persie, Chicharito, all these players. Van Gaal just didn't take it to him, and they were all let go for basically peanuts. The transfer strategy was bonkers at the time, um, but they were under a lot of pressure to deliver, especially after Moyes. so that's why Woodward said we'll spend a lot of money. At that moment, because Ferguson hadn't spent loads in the last couple of years, there was a nice kitty to spend at that time. Van went and splurged it all. We didn't get a massive return for any of those players. And the transitional problems that we had, obviously they caught up with us. Van wasn't allowed to oversee that era because when Mourinho came available, itchy trigger finger, Woodward went, oh, we'll just go with that, we'll go with Mourinho. Mourinho, when he became manager, United weren't in the Champions League. So what he immediately did was he got into bed with... Mino Raiola, which meant Ibrahimovic, Pogba, Mikatarian. I don't know if, I don't think by Eric by was um, Raiola's, but the other three certainly were. And it was very much, it seemed to be very much a case of if you want Pogba, give Zlatan a bigger staging, buy Mikatarian, buy these players, and you can have Pogba because you don't have Champions League football and blah blah blah. So we got those players in. Um, then we signed Sanchez, um, we swapped to Mkhitaryan after about 18 months for Sanchez. Um, the the common theme that I haven't mentioned so far is that in Van Gaal's second summer, the players that he wanted, Woodward started to interfere and say, no, I think you should buy such and such, you should, you should buy this player. When it got to Mourinho's second summer, exactly the same kind of thing happened there were mass, there were reports of massive arguments. United went to America two summers in a row, and I know I've got mates who were on on those tours who were quite close to... They saw a lot of events, they saw a lot of arguments. Woodward and Mourinho had massive arguments about um, uh, Matic, just before we signed Matic. Mourinho was wondering why we hadn't signed him yet, so he sent Woodward home literally to complete that signing, and that happened like two weeks before the start of the season or something. The following season, uh, which was just before meltdown, so he signed. Mourinho was given a new contract in the January. In July, he was told he wasn't going to get the players that he wanted. He, we signed Fred, who I don't think was on. He wasn't the primary target on the list. He signed Dallo. I think might have been on one of the list, but Lee Grant was just a backup goalkeeper. Yeah, he, he very clearly wanted two centre backs. He, he went on record of saying that he wanted Perisic to supply balls for Lukaku didn't get him, um, he wanted to sell Martial, he wanted to sell Pogba, um, and United vetoed those and said, no, you're not, first of all, you're not having centre-backs because you've signed Lindelof and Baye, and they haven't done well, which made no, you know what I mean? They, they're not playing for the club now, so he was right in that judgment. Perisic, we needed him to, to supply Lukaku with, with the crosses and, um, you know, we needed the defenders, Alderweireld was one that we were linked with heavily, you know, linked with Maguire, he was saying that he wanted the um, the former City player who played for Bayern, whose name escapes me, Jerome Boateng. Jerome Boateng. <laughs> so, so he wanted these players, he didn't get any of them. And then when he didn't get them, he started playing McTominay in defence and all that sort of nonsense and match in defence. Really weird. It's like, you know what it's like going down. It's so when we saw grumpy Mourinho. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the three, yeah. three, when you guys came to Old Trafford and stuck another three pastors, um he was doing another you know, three yeah. kind of things and everything like that. So the, the interference was there, you know, and the financial decisions were sort of catching up with United in terms of when, you know, we signed Sanchez and because of the contract that he was on, Everyone was signing new new contracts because Sanchez's performances have been so bad. Like When De Gea wanted a new contract, he was entitled to ask for as much as Sanchez was on. Herrera asked for as much as San- Sanchez was on, and that's why he, he was allowed to go. Pogba probably wanted it. Pogba's agent was constantly saying, oh, he's going to go. Should we, should we go to City? Should we go to Real Madrid? And all that sort of stuff. It was every single transfer window. Sometimes didn't even wait to a transfer window. It was so unsettling for the club. All this sort of stuff. So, Woodward had again interfered and said, no, this is what you're going to have for, for Mourinho. Mourinho, he was sacked a few months after oh, that. Yeah. So, Solskjaer comes in. He's a very cost-effective choice. Same pattern follows. When he gets in the job, a lot of money spent in the first window to sort of say, these are the players that he wants. Not every player that he wants, he signed Maguire... Wambasaka and Dan James and a few others, obviously there were some other areas we needed forward because we let Lukaku and Sanchez go straight away, Sol- Solsho was addressing areas like Herrera was let go, Fellaini was let go, they were, but so the midfield and the forward line still needed replenishing from, you know, the fullbacks, we still had problems area in the area we show, Solskjaer was giving a lot of money and then and then he wasn't. backed. we knew that that we needed a number ten. We needed one when Mourinho was there. That's when the form seemed to be going out of a window, and we put the money into sign Fernandez. That was literally before, just before COVID. It so Fernandez obviously played really well, seemed to do really well, and, and United looked like they were going places again. But when the um post COVID, the, the mid lockdown window hit. United sort of brief, they were briefing the press saying, oh, well, there's no money for transfers because we're impacted by COVID. You know, they went through all that. We bought Donny van de Beek, but you know, it was like 30 million, but that's it. And we're being really prudent. And the key line was long-term planning. We're doing long-term planning. Solskjaer bought some sensible signings. They played well. Fernandez has done really well. McGuire's done really well and, and we're building towards something and we're not just gonna panic. So we lose to Palace. You guys come to Old Trafford and stuff for six one. That's two days before the transfer window. We sign. Well, I, I can't even remember everyone that we signed. We, we went out and bought Cavani, oh, Teles, yeah. Palestre, Diallo, and I think someone else. And like you know, Cavani barely played at first. Teles did, but he was only ever there to sort of galvanise Shaw into playing well. Mm. Palestre I don't know where he is now, but he's not going to play for United. Um, I think he's still- Never heard of him. Well, <laughs> he was signed for about 20 million. This is the thing. So he was signed for 20 million. And um, Ahmad was like 16 or 17. No, yeah. It's he, he's a, he's a 17 million down payment and perhaps 40 if all the, the things are met. But he's never, ever going to get them, And United are never going to see 16 million for him again. Um, so they made... It was a bonkers... 24 hours in which they were sort of like they were literally throwing money but it was like long-term structured payments you know like we'll pay so much now and we'll owe so much um solshaw was obviously psyched and um, last summer obviously there was some money for transfers uh, sancho was bought on one of those structured payments for around i think they paid pretty much outright for and even though we were desperate for a holding midfielder when they saw Ronaldo come available, they and there was no money available for transfers. That was the line from everyone. They made money available because they knew Ronaldo would add so much on the share price within months, if not weeks, they'd be able to capitalize by selling mm-hmm. shares on the back of Ronaldo's, which is precisely yep. what they did. Everyone could forecast it. Everyone knew it was coming and they did it. So you've got to this moment in time where the manager has been sacked and another one's been put in place. And obviously there's some money available you know every you get the rights money or whatever so there's money at the start of every window and they've, they've spent a little bit of that um well, a fair amount this extra money a lot of us before Casemiro was signed and certainly before anthony was signed a lot of us were like you know i don't have this money and they don't they don't have the money to on the cash balance available for transfers or anything they didn't have that money available to buy so i can only presume that something's been I don't know, because I'm not the money man. Uh, okay. They'll, they'll be making the accounts clear in the next few weeks or months. You know, they'll be talking about where that money's come from, uh, whether or not it's a, a smaller down payment, whether it's money taken off. You know, that if they've gambled on it being United getting into Champions League, if they've cashed in a share or something. You know, like if mm-hmm. someone's come on board and put some money in, uh, we don't know yet. It's not clear, but United shouldn't have had that money to spend. A lot of us were kind of like, "Do you want to really see us end up like Barcelona, or owing?" all this kind of money everywhere because mm. we, we don't want to see that. The, the, the fact of the matter is that United don't have that cash. They didn't have that cash to spend, so we don't know where it's come from. Yes, they can spend money because the Premier League has provided so much money over this period of time. And yes, there's been a lot of wastage, but at every single moment where United have wanted to build on either a Champions League qualification because the manager's gotten back in there or finishing second and looking like, oh, you know, like Mourinho finished second, Solskjaer finished second. Can they kick on and move forward? That's where the critical lack of investment mm. has been. And even, even in that summer where we bought Di Maria and all those players, because we'd lost all that experience and we'd just gambled on these players, you were nowhere near in in covering the shortcomings in that squad. You know, we spent something like hundred and fifty million, and it didn't even. It, touch the edges. And I know it sounds like a big statement to make. but if you go back and analyze all the players that were lost and all the players that came in and what an erratic approach that was, you'll understand really how unplanned and how dangerous that kind of squad management was. So you get to this period of time, we've got four or five different managers with a squad in there. And I know this sounds like it's a long, massive excuse, but it is the explanation for why United fans are getting mm. frustrated because at this point in time, not at this point in time, because they've obviously backed the new manager and critically, these are all players that the new manager wants. They all fit into a way that, you know, so this is a reason for optimism on the football side of things. People are still upset with the ownership because there's still things like, you know, the ground hasn't been invested in since, um, since Martin Edwards, there's been no, you know, if he gets painted, there's a derisive, oh, look at that, you know, we've had new paint on the stadium, but there are critical problems. Old Trafford is still the same matchday experience as it was in 2006, which, you know, for some of us nostalgic old sods, is fine because we love the old place. <laughs> and, you know, as long as they modernise it a little bit, then fine. But um... I actually quite like going to Old Trafford. Yeah, <laughs> I do, but... but... <laughs> You'll understand from your own experience of like why Art Lane needed to be updated for, for the new stadium and now yeah. we've experienced experience that. I place. miss it, but yeah, it's I now get to walk inside the best stadium in the world. Exactly. In my so, opinion, yes. So, United, I don't think we want to see, we don't want to see the place tore down, but we wanted to see it no. modernised and sort of brought up today in, in a way that, that we can't foresee because we're not architects, you know, but we no, know that yeah. it can be better and we know that it can improve. There's no Look issue. at Anfield that that was always rumored to be never been able to hmm. sort of build
0: on or, or improve. But look at it now, look at the big standard, then look at obviously I know you don't want to hear that, but look at no, the big no, standard no, yeah, now look, no, at the, look, at away look at the look at the away hand. Look at
2: the away end now which Liverpool serve as a great example. So to round off on United, the the, the sorry problem yeah. is no 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 it's all right because Liverpool are a really good example and I wanna come on to them. As much as it pains me I will come on to them it's, <laughs> let's talk about it. Um United have sort of let themselves down at every critical moment where they could have pushed on. They, there's been a lack of investment because, you know, the owners have said that there isn't the money there and the money's not there because it's gone to pay interest on the debt. You know, there's like a bit, so that's where the billion pounds or 2 billion pounds comes in. It's not on the training pitch. It's not in the squad. It's not, you know, at every critical moment now. And so that's why there's so, so much unrest. And, and the principle of it is that in football, Owners and you know this. Everyone knows it. Traditionally, football is meant to be a losing game for investment. You don't see that investment back. You put money in; it's a plaything. You're never meant to see that money back. So, for two million, two billion pounds to be taken not only out of United, out of the British game, is mm. a scandal. Really, and that kind yeah. of they shouldn't be they shouldn't be allowed in in sport. It shouldn't be allowed in football. And that that ownership model is at Burnley now, and you know that could very much put. Burnley in a very, very difficult situation. United were only able to survive it and, and compete because of the power of the brand. If they didn't have the power of the brand and they weren't able to have the marketing pull to pay Ronaldo or such and such, do you know what I mean? But there's nothing what they've done to make United more attractive. They haven't they haven't pulled in the deals. It's the name of United that's been used to do that and all that money's been taken mm. from the club. now the interesting part and which you're absolutely right as um, as the average fan to analyze is that you can look at Liverpool and say that they've had less money to spend than United and they've been able to compete and that's fair and the reason why is because A because they've got a great manager mm-hmm. they probably the best manager in the world B they've properly backed that manager in all of the targets in which he wanted C they gave him faith and patience in the times when you know, when they were there was a moment, uh, it became a meme where they were celebrating in front of the cop because they drew West Brom to with West Brom exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But they allowed all that because they now allowed all the sort of gimmicky stuff because he was building a squad and he was building a direction. They invested in the faith because what was the alternative? And that's how they've been able, in a funny way, similar to what United did under Fergie the first time round? Obviously, a lot easier to invest faith in Fergie when he had the history that he did. But he was able to rebuild the side that competed with Chelsea when you thought Chelsea had too much money to be able to do anything with. All it is is about achieving a level of consistency to really not fighting against City are you, you because if you're <laughs> uncatchable, you're fighting against the other 18 teams in the league, which is what Klopp did magnificently. He, he developed this sense of consistency, which you know against those other 18 teams. Won all these points, and he, he basically made it well. If we can't beat City, then that's City are just unmatchable, do you know. And, and fair play mm-hmm. to Liverpool for that. And United have had that within their power to to do, but they've just made the wrong decisions all along the way. They've definitely had the money to be able to compete, which is why I always flip the coin and say when people say under this ownership, structure United can't compete. I've I've already said my piece publicly, and I've written a book off where half of the book is basically talking about what this ownership's done with United. Mm. So I've already gone on record as saying that, but you're quite right to say there's, there's a, a very logical argument so long as the right decisions are being made to say that this United team can still compete, the only problem that you've got right now is that we don't know where this extra money's come from. This is where a lot of us are concerned to say what's happened right now. Got because, I, don't get me wrong, I think Casemiro's a massive upgrade. I think, and he was desperately needed. I think Anthony's a hopefully going to be a very, very smart signing. Um, we don't know, unpredictable because you know he signs someone from the Dutch league. It can be hit and miss. Yeah. Um. Know about that? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, we've we've been there. We've we've been there as well with with players like that. So, and it, it's that gamble. You're gambling on something on the club's future, and we don't know what that gamble is at the moment in time. We don't know if it's part of it. Or, there, if it's part of a structure where they're already grinding the the wheels to move, if they're already sort of in early stages of talking of selling, you know, and someone else has come mm. in and made that investment, although you would have thought that that would have been more public with the news. Um,
1: Just a question on that, Wayne. Um, so the rumors today that um, it it, it it that it would take almost four billion for them to sell, and for that amount of money, there's probably Less than a handful of of like people that could, that could afford that. So you're looking out probably. Um, you know the rumors are are like someone out in Dubai, like the Dubai State. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Is that going from worse to? Do you know what I mean? Another evil? Is that? Yeah. What are your thoughts?
2: No, it's a really good question. Um, I've I've spoken about city's ownership. I've spoken about Paris's ownership and Newcastle's. um, Mm -hmm. I think that those ownership structures are dangerous for football. I don't think they're healthy for football. I think they should be outlawed. I think there should be some governance put in retrospectively to, you know, I think that the other clubs should come together and sort of say that those clubs can't compete if you've got those ownership structures in place. I wouldn't be comfortable if they were in charge of United and no let's also make this a balanced conversation piece and say that Mm -hmm. no ownership structure can say that they're completely squeaky clean you know we've all got sponsorship deals that have got some origin in some area of any business or area of the world that we're not completely comfortable with but it's where you draw the line as a football fan you know I I generally I look at the you know the 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 other name that people keep people keep mentioning is Jim Ratcliffe he's a mm. supposedly united fan and he seems like he's the most you know um the most morally um comfortable owner that we could be happy with but even if you you know you can do a little digging on Jim Ratcliffe oh, and yeah. things that you're not happy with do you know you know what i'm saying mm. so yeah 100 the b- d-
0: d- um, these people get to places for some reason exactly. they, you know... you know,
2: and yeah i, I don't want to i don't like going down that route because historically you can say that with any owner of any football club and it is where you draw the line I think there's a very big there's a pronounced difference in what we're talking about general owners of business and general owners of football clubs and then state owned or state manipulated clubs in the way that we've seen Paris Newcastle and City and the obscenity of you know like the old sort of cloak and dagger stuff where you say no Newcastle are suddenly that their shirt sponsors suddenly worth 400 million pounds and stuff like that. You know, mm. let's play the game. Let's play it normally. I'm not saying, you know, obviously, there's always been sovereign wealth and other kinds of wealth put into the game. Jack Walker in a very modest yeah. example um, backrolled uh, Blackburn to the league title. So you're always going to have stuff like that. But it's about looking at things in a realistic way. And I just think I think the city thing in particular, Chelsea started it, but Chelsea in particular, very, very, very terrible for this football league because they bank, uh, they they sort of stockpiled a lot of average clubs' best players, and it weakened the middle part of the league to a way that people don't even recognize now. They say mm. it's the strongest league in the world, but if you look at the way that they just sort of systematically they, they disrupted Villa, Everton, Swansea, all these clubs when they were sort of building Arsenal. I, I know you guys oh, yeah. don't, don't feel it, but like Chelsea and Arsenal, Chelsea and City destroyed Arsenal when they were mm. approaching one of their best ever teams. And I feel sorry. I feel sorry for Wenger in that respect because at least what Wenger was doing was a sporting achievement. You know mm. what these guys have done wasn't. You know, and I do feel sorry for him in that respect, but. Um, oh, yeah. I actually yeah. admire Arsene Wenger for what he, did, you know, yeah. for what he actually did. But yeah. yeah,
0: and that's hard for me to say. But this just comes from a football point of view rather than a Spurs point of view. But yeah. you're, you're absolutely right with lights. I mean, the, the the great thing about Spurs, and it's not about Spurs podcast, but <laughs> we have Daniel Levy on our side. So it, for, so he'll never negotiate with Chelsea. Yeah. Well, he might do now, but he never would under Abramovich. Yeah. That was one thing he was he was insulted by Abramovich, from what I believe. So I don't know about that, and then obviously with Man City, he, he wasn't happy with, with obviously the whole Kane thing now, and and yeah. um, I think he only ever sold Walker to, to Man City. So again, I can mm-hmm. see what you mean by the disruption, but yeah, lights of Arsenal like losing all those players to City, losing all those players to Chelsea, and I can understand, I know what you mean, but it also still happening. Lights of Calvin Phillips now going to Man City, you know, obviously weakening Leeds a little bit, um, but yeah, so. Completely understand, Rich. You had something, yeah. Yeah. I
1: I, I had one more question, and and this is more from my own knowledge. Um, because I sort of work a little bit in that industry. When they floated United on the stock market, where did all that money go?
2: I don't, I I wouldn't know that. Um, Okay, that's one for Kieran Maguire. Might
1: be one for Kieran Maguire.
2: (laughs) I know that what they have done, yeah. Kieran Maguire would be the. Yeah. But, but what i know, i do know what united what the blazer family have been known to do and um they've been criticized heavily for it in the united um support base they sometimes do um take options to like if the if the club have had a momentary boom in price or anything they'll cash in on a load of shares and do you know what I mean? And that money yeah. does not go back into the club. They don't use. They'll it exploit games. options, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do all that sort of stuff, and all that money goes out of the club. None of it uh, yeah. ever come back in. So when, it, when you said earlier, um, we said earlier, Jamie, about you know they've they've put a lot, on, they've given a lot of money. The the critical thing to remember: all of the money that's been spent has been Manchester United's money, what they've generated. Not one single penny at any moment in. The 17 years they've owned the club has come from the Glazers. In fact, wow. it only like, you know, all of that money that I mentioned, the 2 billion, approximately 2 billion, has all been United's money, what they've raised, which has gone out of the club. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, United should have had 2 billion to spend on transfers and then we would have won the league, because football doesn't work like that. It's, it's really about the principle of it. You know, all right, Liverpool could have come back and won the league and City would have won a couple of league titles, but United haven't been allowed. And it sounds ludicrous considering they've spent close to a billion pounds on transfers or probably more now. No, but it goes back to what you said about United used to
0: be able to blow everyone out of the water. Yeah. And now they cut, like, you, do you know what I mean? That's that. So I completely understand the way you've summed it all up. I completely, sorry to interrupt, but I completely
2: now understand what you mean. The, the other. Where, let, let me just make a, another very quick point on that as well. So when Guardiola came in, obviously they they've been playing around with financial fair play and whatever. <laughs> the emails may never be found or may, they may never be understood properly. But when, when he came in, he, he signed like three or four defensive players. He signed Claudio Bravo and to, sign, uh, to replace Joe Art, and he signed a couple of defenders. After a year, he realised that they were all rubbish, and he binned them all off and he spent £200 million. He brought in Kyle Walker... Mm-hmm. Um, he brought in another fullback, he, John Stones, maybe. He, yeah, I think just Stones or Stones might have already been there. But he brought in. All oh, right. I, I remember he spent hundred million pound on full fullbacks. I think one of them was Mendy. I know that he hasn't done well later. Oh, right, right. Uh, He Let's brought said he, he signed Danilo, so he spent hundred and thirty million on fullbacks. He spent another fifty million on the goalkeeper, and he did all that in in the side of it in space of a transfer window. And that's what a club with that kind of financial power can do. They can do that. Now, you can say, oh, United have got that financial power, and they, on their own two feet, they might be able to, but they can't operate on that kind of turnover. They couldn't write off that many mistakes in one transfer window in the same way that City can. So, yeah, they can spend £80 million on Maguire and overspend him, spend on him. But Maguire's is still there because they can't get him off the books, you know, whereas City would have written him off, and they would have probably mm. sold him for, like, 5 or 10 million, you know? Phil Jones is still at the club, Ashley Young was there for a long time, Antonio Valencia was there for a long time, a lot of these players, Sanchez took them quite a long time to get him out, you know, considering he was doing nothing for a long time. Um, Eric By still there, Victor Lindelof still there, Luke Shaw is eight years at the club and he's been in and out of the team that many times, you can't have the same kind of turnover, you know. City have been able to do it to be more ruthless to a lesser extent. Chelsea, that's what they've been able to operate. Mm. They've been able to write off players at a massive loss and just carry on and sign in a new player. United haven't been able to do like that. And they've also always been notoriously terrible sellers. Um, not, Um And I'm not saying that as a criticism. It used to be a thing like a badge of honor, you know, like the player had given a length of service like Sheringham when you guys got him back, you got him back for nothing. He was like, "All right, a thank you," because he'd done quite well at United. He'd done his service, and we'd signed Van Nistelrooy. He wasn't going to be needed, so we're not going to ask a massive fee for him. We'll just let him go for nothing because, you know, Steve Bruce went for nothing, Brian Robson went for nothing. I know that they were end of their careers, but it was like a thank you the service that you've mm. given. We'll let you go for nothing. Um, so we've all, but over the past few years, it's been notorious in terms of like we can't even let him go. We just give him new contracts now because. We did it with Lingard. Do you know what I mean? At one point, we could have just let him go. Pogba, we could have sold him. Martial, I've already mentioned Pogba and Martial. Mourinho wanted to sell them, and we could have probably got hundred million. Pogba wanted Martial. Yeah, we could have probably got (laughs) hundred million for the pair. Do you know when he wanted to sell them, and and now, well, we gave Pogba away for free, and Mm. I don't know what you'd get for Martial. The point is that, you know, City can get fifty million for Sterling, and they just get Arland in, do you know what I mean? Mm. We can't do that kind of turnover. You guys can't yeah. do it because we're normal football clubs operating the way that normal football clubs do.
0: Tottenham's evident. Can't get rid of Van den Ballet, can't get rid of La Celso, etc. Cetera, exactly. et cetera, Yeah, it's, they can't get rid of them.
2: It's a normal football problem. But yep. in, in this football, in this environment, when you see Man City operating the way that they do, a lot of fans don't understand what normal football problems are. Oh. Yeah, in this day and age.
1: Um,
0: Anything else, Rich, on United front?
1: No, nothing from me. Um... I think
0: that's perfectly summed up as well, Wayne. I mean, thank you very much. I mean, Mm. I'm not being naive in in thinking it. I'm just asking what the average football fan probably thought. You know, and you see, I'm not that I'm using bloody football Twitter for fucking, oh sorry, for everything that uh that that okay. the, 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 the 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 whole world of football says. Um, but you obviously see it and stuff like that, and you and it and to be honest, I, I do you know I admire Gary Neville speaking out quite a bit on it and, and having those facts and everything that you've explained there, and um, you know, some of the ex players that do want to speak out on it um and, and say this is what's going on, and I didn't quite understand it, and now I understand it. What you mean in terms of the money that's coming out of the club and the money that hasn't been put in by the yeah. Glazers? In fact, they're just sat there owning a club yeah. and not really. Do you know what I mean? Like they're and, not really the doing still there. It.
2: The original debt is still there on the club. I
0: think it's to The there. point uh, is there a point to it? Is there a point to the Glazers owning Manchester
2: United? I think that's the critical question at this moment. Oh, right, okay. and I think that's what they're asking, do you know what I mean? What more oh, okay. can they get? Do you know what I mean? They, especially if they, they're they at that catch-22 where you know they know that for United to kick on and there's still no guarantee they'll get back into Champions League, will they have to invest more? Will that then come at cost of dividends? Will they be forced to be put into a situation where they've got to look at investing some of the money that they've taken out of the club, and they might not decide that it's worth it, which is why you're getting all these spe- this speculation at yeah. the moment about someone coming in and, and doing that. But make no mistake, even United at the level that they're at, is still not a game in which... I mean, they, their dividends every year are £16 million, approximately. It's not a lot compared to the size of the club that they own, is it? Do you know what I mean? It, it's a lot for football in terms of dividends from a football club, because they own one of the biggest brands but in terms of the stress you know the, the actual process of going through it they might decide that this is the moment to sort of cash in because mm. if they're cash in like um, like you said earlier that you might be in a position where they get between 4 and 5 billion and considering it's 16 million every year they might just think the, the 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 sticking block with that is that the I, I don't know a lot about it but apparently uh, American ownership of sports franchises is massively ego driven you know it's all like a play thing to say I own this and I it own is. that um, <laughs> and I don't, I don't profess to understand any of that but I understand that that is um, reportedly one of the reasons that's, um, that's causing a hold up with them moving it on so yeah no, I can understand that um,
0: we're a little bit out of time Wayne so, and it's annoying because they want to get onto the books but what what, what We'll obviously say you know you books are and you got you've got a new book coming out did you say or you're writing a new book?
2: Um, Well, no, I I, I've got one. It won't be out in a in a short period of time. The last book I I wrote that came out was a book, a biography of Wayne Rooney that was out in April. Yeah, and I've written one on a biography of Duncan Edwards, which was authorised by his family, and that's out in the next couple of months. Just being edited now, so. Um, okay. He obviously, for anyone who was listening, I, I, I presume most people will know, but he died in the Munich air crash. He was a legendary, uh, one of the best players in United's mm. history. And it's been an honour to write it. And obviously, as well to write something that is someone of that generation. And everyone always asks, was he that good? So to be able to put in, you know, could anyone who died at the age of 21 really be described as one of the best players ever? Yeah. So writing something like that, has been a challenge, but I think I've—I well, don't know if I've done a faithful job, job on him. I hope that first and foremost, sure, yeah. I hope that his family thinks so. But um, secondly, I hope that I've done his legacy justice because he's—he um, mm. was an incredible player.
0: Brilliant, um, Wayne. Where can where can people find you? Obviously, I know you've got an Amazon page, obviously an author page on there, so you can find all your books on there. You wrote books about most Manchester United legends that have played for the club um and, and obviously you can find yourself
2: on twitter they you've got a big following on there that you want to just sort of let people know where you can find you yeah they can just uh, they can find me just um put Wayne Barton in amazon if they want to find yeah. my books um and uh, yeah there's a an american guy who wrote chip carving books that one's not me um <laughs> definitely all football um and if you want to find me on, on twitter um it's Wayne Espot and I'm on on that on Instagram as well so yeah thank
0: amazing you no no I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for jumping on it was a really really interesting chat um and yeah so thank you very much
1: nice one cheers Wayne
0: uh well rich i mean welcome back it's it's nice to have the podcast back yeah. mate um i i'm really really uh looking forward to getting stuck into to lots more mate um so, but let, it was a good one to come back and and, and quite a topical subject um, with United. Obviously, now starting to find some form, and uh, obviously the stuff around the Glazers and the ownership, and 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 really every every average football fan's opinion of, of Manchester mm. United. It's nice to know from an expert opinion. Yeah, um, definitely. Even though it is the biggest club in the world, um, to have someone that has that insight insight and, and and that expert knowledge of United was really really interesting. Um, because we can all look at it from the outside and go, Ugh. but yeah. I mean, what's your
1: thoughts, man? I mean, it's it's so n- n- nice and refreshing to talk to someone about Man United who isn't, um, to put it politely, an arsehole. Um Lovely man, <laughs> you know, talks well about Man United, and also he has, he, he, he is very grounded. He, you know, he knows so much about the club. Um, some people might see it as um, being sort of that sort of big giant but that he he, he isn't he, he like talks on that on that like grounded level which yeah. is r- really refreshing actually um but no very interesting um interesting to see how he thinks that you know now they've got ten Hag that that might be them turning the corner um I tend to who play. knows who knows um I certainly think it's probably their best appointment since Fergie, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of a plan, in terms of a project. Um, so only time will tell, I guess. Mm.
0: And a worry for the top six sides, I think. Definitely. Um, I think f- from the last, last few years, it's been one of the teams where we go, now we'll finish above them. Yeah. Um, same with the likes of Arsenal. You sort of go, yeah, we'll finish above them. But, you mm. know, these teams are now becoming incredibly competitive, They've bought yeah. well. Um so yeah, um, well, brilliant. Thanks very much, mate. Um, really good been, episode, yeah. Nice. Yeah, one. yeah, I really enjoyed it, and um, we'll be back very, very soon with another episode. Maybe dive into non-league again. Yeah. Um, talk to one of our local managers. Um, but yeah, what well done, mate. It's good to speak to you. Um, yeah. And thank you very much to Wayne for jumping on. Um, it was really, really interesting chat. So yeah, pleasure as
1: always, Jambo. Cheers, mate.
0: Dot man, we've been here hitting areas podcast. Thank you very much.